you have your Bibles with you, won't you please take them out? And uh, we'll be reading from uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 25 through to 30. Philippians, chapter 2, verse 25 through to 30. And this is what it says. Verse 25. Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, verse 27. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him, you, when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Father, thank you for your most holy word. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and it is active. It brings conviction and it brings encouragement to us, your children. Pray, God, that you would use my voice, my mouth, Lord, to say everything that you need me to say. Nothing of my own thanking God, but everything of you. For your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you kind of read that, I don't know about you, but um, last, last week we looked at verse 19 through to verse 24. And then today, 25 through to 30, which will be the end of uh, Philippians chapter 2. However, as I looked at that last week and looked at this this week, I'm sure you might be thinking to yourself, what and how? How can this word encourage us? I mean, it's all greetings. It's what I'm going to do. Paul telling the church, I'm sending this guy, uh, Epaphroditus. What can we learn from, from this particular passage of scripture but there's lots that God has to say to us this morning and so as as we looked at this um, at verse 19 through to verse 24 last week we um, saw the importance of having and maintaining good deep and genuine relationships Paul and Timothy were the example that we looked at we saw 
this kind of relationship, the relationship that Paul speaks about, about him and Timothy, we realize looking at this that it is impossible for us as church friends, church family to have this kind of relationship. It is impossible other than through our, number one, union with Christ. It starts with our union with Christ. Without the union of Christ, there is, this cannot be. This cannot be. And then number two, we realize that not only is the union of Christ important, but it's not enough. We also need to have an attitude. There comes that word again, the attitude that we, this word that we have been speaking of over this uh, chapter two, our attitude. We realize that we need to have an attitude that considers others before ourselves. A selfless attitude rather than a selfish attitude. And you see, as we, uh, I just love how Paul uses these scriptures he, um, as an example. See, the things that he was calling the Philippians to, towards unity, the things that he's encouraging them to, to be as a, as a church, as a church family, unity, unity, unity. Be, do not be self-centered, but rather think of others than you think of yourself first. Be kind to one another. Let's look out for each other more than we look out for ourselves. These kind of things that he was encouraging and calling the Philippians to were not just mere theory. They weren't just words that he wrote and he was just thinking about. He actually proved them to be in a practical manner. He sends Timothy and he says, he says in the, between verse 19 and 24, he says that I have no one like him. I have no one like him. Can I say that of you? Can you say that of me? That you have no one like me. I have no one like you. That kind of deep, genuine relationship is actually only developed through togetherness, our fellowship togetherness, doing things together. But also too, it is as, you know, there's a word that says that as iron sharpens iron, we are called together so that I can rub shoulders with you and you can do the same. And as we rub shoulders together, so you kind of edge my little rough edges or kind of shave my little rough edges and the same and vice versa. That can only happen when we are together. Hence the word also says that we are not to forget forsake the gathering of the saints. In Hebrews, it encourages us not to forsake the gathering of the saints. This is where it's all formed. This is where it's all engaged. This is where it's all developed. And so Paul uses his um, life situation as an example, not just as words, not just as a theory, but actually as a practical demonstration of what he's calling his friends to. And today we will see that he also introduces a, another friend he had in Christ, Epaphroditus. We will also look at how Paul viewed this particular relationship um, of friendship. Interesting. So the title of last week's message, which is a continuation of today, 
is um, deep, genuine relationships. We as a church, we as friends, we as people of God have to cultivate deep, genuine relationships. We have to try. We have to try. But the foundation is that we're united in Christ. Without the foundations, it all falls apart. Because with the foundation, then we're able to actually say, Ah, no, I will consider you more than I consider myself. And as we look at the word this morning, I will attempt to show us why Paul had this deep, genuine relationship with both Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why and how is it possible? And then how does it look for us? What are, how is it encouraging for us today in the 21st century? So we looked at last week, as I said, we looked at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, where Paul speaks highly of Timothy. He says, I have no one like him. No one like him around. And then today he introduces this man called Epaphroditus. So a little bit of uh, background uh, about Epaphroditus. Paul in this, in verse 25, starts off by saying, Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. He was going to send Timothy through to the Philippians church. Remember, he was in a Roman, uh, he was in uh, prison. He was going to send Timothy, who he has no one like him, to go and encourage the church. But he said, I won't send him because, until I see how things work out with me here in Rome. He was, gonna go, he was due to go for a trial, and he wasn't sure how it was going to work out. He says, I will, I, will, I will send him, but I'm not sure how it's going to work out. In fact, I want to come myself. But because I have no one like him, I'm going to send him just in due course. But immediately he says, I'm going to send you another, another soldier, another friend, another, another man, Epaphroditus. I will send him now. You see, Epaphroditus only appears twice in the Bible. Here and in, verse, um, in chapter 4, verse 18. And we see here Paul presented one of the least known yet spiritually powerful men in the Bible. Have you ever heard of this man, Epaphroditus? Do you ever think of him? What a name. <laughs> what a name. I must be honest, I've read, I've glanced through, through his name every now and again, but it has never struck. What's so important about his name in the Bible? How does how does it help me? How does it help me and you engage each other? What can I learn from him? But we will see that here was a man who was pretty spiritually powerful, yet not very famous. Because even the respected apostle Paul held him in high regard. So I want to send Timothy, but I won't do it. I'll send you someone else now. Now remember, he held Timothy in a higher, higher grade. And so he says, I won't send you, Timothy, my higher grade friend, but I'll send you someone else to come and encourage you at this point. Which means this Epaphroditus was also in the league of the higher grade Timothy relationship that Paul had. Epaphroditus probably came from a non-Christian background. Good for us to just note that. He, he probably came from a 
non-Christian background. His name means belonging to Venus. Venus was a goddess. And it's said that he might have been a polyethist, worshipper of many gods, before he became a Christian. This is his background. He was not born again. He wasn't brought up in a Christian home like we are doing with our kids. Uh, that wasn't the case. He worshipped another god. A goddess for that matter. But after becoming a Christian, he emerged into becoming a leading member of the Philippian church. It's even said that maybe he was even the Philippians' church pastor or elder, the commentators say. The Philippian church charged him to deliver a love gift to Paul in chapter 4. Charged him to go, go deliver this love gift to Paul, our friend, our apostle in prison, fighting the good fight, Go and deliver this love gift to him. See that his needs are taken care of. Love gift is translated into money. That's what simply said. They gave, the church collected money and they sent this man to go and deliver this money to Paul in prison. Now you must uh, also imagine oh, that the fact that the church trusted this man to take this money that, to, the, the, to Paul in prison meant that the church trusted him. Trust him, because the journey was long. It wasn't like an overnight or you just fly and you're there. It took months to get to where Paul was based. The church trusted him. And they asked him to take this gift to, to Paul and stay in Rome while, uh, and help Paul for a while. And on his trip and his stay in Rome, he became dangerously ill for the work of Christ. He almost died, verse 27 says. And after his recovery, Paul sent him right back home to the Philippians. And upon his return, he delivered the epistle to the Philippians. Now, you might ask yourself, why is it important that I mention the background of Epaphroditus? As I said, what a name. We've, never really, we've heard of him, but we don't really pay attention or much attention to his name. But why is it important? Well, it's important for two main reasons. And the first is that it shows and highlights that where you come from has no bearing on where God can take you. Where you come from, your background has actually no bearing on where God can take you. So whether you are, you know, uh, come from a poor background or a rich background or an atheist uh, family background, wherever, whatever the background looks like, it means nothing because that has no bearing to where God can take you. And then secondly, it also shows that God isn't a discriminator, is not a discriminator of who he uses to expand his kingdom. Epaphroditus, a man who's not known, God chose him to do the work of the ministry to further the gospel. That's just by way of background. This is the man 
The man who's not known, but is known today a little bit by you and I. And, it, and the importance of that. So verse 25 says, My brother, this is, um, sorry, verse 25 starts off by saying, Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. See, Paul viewed Epaphroditus as a companion. He viewed Epaphroditus as a companion from several perspectives. And the first, he viewed him as a brother. He had the same spiritual root. That means God is our Father, Jesus our Savior, and the Holy Spirit our Comforter. At the moment, we exercise faith in Christ. So the relationship between Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the church at large all began with that foundation that I mentioned earlier, union with Christ. Our relationship together is not possible other than the union of Christ being the foundation. Other than the, the union of Christ being the Because... Uh, other foundations are quite selfish, isn't it? I will befriend you because of what you can give me. You will befriend me because of what I can give you. Rather than we'll befriend each other because we are united by, with Christ and for the furtherance of the gospel, however it looks like and wherever he leads us to. See, at the moment of conversion... We become children of God. Before that, we were not children of God. God the Father is the creator of all people. You and I, God created us. Those who do not confess him as Lord and Savior, God still created them. But he is not their father. He is their creator, but not their father. Let that sink in a little bit. It was a, he is the creator, but not the father. See, a father has the right to love you. A father has the right to discipline you. A father has the right to direct you. A father has a right to guard our way. A father has a right to our... Um, um, not sub, us being under him. What is that word? Submission. Submission. That's right. A father deserves and has a right to our submission. A creator doesn't necessarily have that. A creator doesn't have, he can, a creator can create something, but there's, there's no relationship. There's no, there's no, there's no give and take relationship. A father is different. And that's why we are children of God. And only the Bible makes that distinction. And Paul saw Epaphroditus as a spiritual brother. That made their relationship distinct. It wasn't just a brother from another mother, as we often say. 
he was a brother from the same father. God. And as a result, there are many, many commonalities among believers not found outside of Christ. We have something special. We have something unique. There's a, there's a, there's a love that I cannot explain. There's a love language that we cannot even understand. Because, wow, we are brothers and sisters. This word brother is not just pertaining to males. It also, pertain, also speaks about sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are unique because of Jesus Christ. We are a family. And because we are family, guess what? We have family responsibilities. Now, when I say responsibilities, uh, I think of um, people who think, oh, well, I've got to clean the, the house. I've got to do the dishes. I've got to... Yes, you do, because it's family responsibilities. But guess what? Our relationship also brings family prerogatives, family uh, benefits, family enjoyment. Paul viewed Epaphroditus primarily as a brother, not as a fellow church man. How do you view me? Do you view me as your brother in Christ? Or do you view me as a fellow church man? <laughs> How do I view you? Do I see you as a fellow church man? Are you coming to fill up the seats and all that? Or do I see you as a brother or a sister and a sister united in Christ? Church connection was not what made this affinity. Christ was the bond that united both Epaphroditus and Paul in the same spiritual league. And the truth of the matter is fellow Christians are to be held in a unique place in our hearts. So I am to hold you in a unique place in my heart. And you are to hold me in a unique place in your heart. As people bond together around Jesus Christ. The second description or perspective of Epaphroditus, of the self-servant that Paul um, speaks about or describes him, is fellow worker. So the first calls him my brother. Then he goes, goes on to call him fellow worker. Epaphroditus was a man who was not afraid of work. Not afraid of work. Someone has said that there are two kinds of workers among Christians. Two kinds. The first is those willing to work. And the second is those willing to let them work. Which category do we, do we fall into? So there are those who are willing to work, first category, and then there's a second category, uh, those who are willing to let the first category work. We'll just sit and watch them work. We'll just sit and watch them uh, do the family chores, as it were, in the Christian body, in the Christian work, in, the, in, in this world that we're called to. You've heard of those statements, well, I'll wait until I'm finished my varsity, or I'll wait until this has happened, I'll wait until maybe my kids are at the house, 
I will wait, I will wait until such things happen, so, and then I will serve Christ. However that looks like. However God has called you, I will wait until certain things take place, and then I will do those things. The reality is, the more you wait, kind of maybe the, the more callous your heart might become, or the less active you are, the less, you know, it's like going, going to the, 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 someone who's active. When you're active, your body is active. You're able to do things. You just carry on. But when you are inactive, it's very hard to get active again. The same with the Christian life. We need to be active. Fellow workers need to be active for the sake and the cause of Christ. And rather than saying, now wait until, let, why don't we ask ourselves, well, what can I do with what I have, with the challenges that God has allowed me to have? What can I do in a way that will bring Him glory? In a way that He has decided to put me in this family. <coughs> Excuse me. He's decided to put us together. What role can I play? Where am I? He's decided to, be, to put me in this particular work uh, environment. These kids that I've got to teach or these colleagues that I've got to work with, he's decided, he's allowed for that to be. So rather than waiting for the sin until things happen, uh, then I will do it. Rather, let's ask ourselves, what can I do with where I'm called and with what I have? which will bring God his glory. See, people who serve the Lord together <clears throat> have a special fellowship. As I said earlier, there's something special about us. There's something special about us getting together. Something special. You see, to some Christians, almost anything comes before the work of Christ. But the Bible stresses the importance of work for the Lord. So what work for the Lord has God called you to do? It's not just the preacher man who's seen. What work has God called you to in where you find yourself? Here, church, at home, in your work environment, wherever God has allowed you to be, what work has God called you to? This is the man that Paul speaks about as a brother, a fellow companion, a worker. And remember, he's an example. He was human like you and I. He had problems, issues. I'm sure he had stuff happening in his life like we do. Yet this man was... Um, was spoken of by Paul as a man who was a fellow worker. For me to speak of someone as a fellow worker, someone that I trust that they are doing the work that we are called to together without having any hesitation. Then the third perspective of Epaphroditus was that he was a co-soldier to the apostle. There are three perspectives that I would like to highlight. I've already spoken um, about the two. First, he was a brother. Second, a fellow worker. And then third, he was a fellow soldier, the word says. 
Paul said of Epaphroditus, he said that him and I were in the same spiritual outfit. We're in the same spiritual um, army. Uh, him and I are called to further the gospel together. Yes, I've got a different role in it. Timothy has a different role in it. So does Epaphroditus. He's got a different role in it as well. But we are all in the same army. Same army. Different gifts, but same army. I am called to, do, to play a certain role in the church of Christ to further the gospel. You are called to, to play a certain role in the church of Christ to further the gospel. Different gifts, different talents, but one army. I would imagine that he, he, he would call him a co-soldier uh, because they um, fought the good fight together spiritually. They probably spent time praying with one another. Uh, they were uh, kind of sloshing through the mud of life together. They stood together. They had each other's backs and of course, we have a picture of an army. An army, uh, you, you get army fighting against another army that's coming uh, against us. This is the picture that um, Paul refers to this, tries to describe about this man. We are in the army of God. And I'm sure there's songs, we're in the army of God. Uh, songs that sing or say of those words. It is true, dear friends, this morning, that we are in the army of God. We are in an army. The battle is raging. The battle is raging. I would imagine Paul would say he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a co-soldier because we were in the sick bay together. Why were we in the sick bay? Because we were out there fighting. Whether it was fighting in prayer to the point where I'm praying and fasting to the point that I'm almost at the point of death. But I desire to see this war being won. God has put me in this army. Yes, I know he is our captain. He is our commander. And the victory has been won already. We know that in the spirit it has been done. But there's still a work for us to do here now on earth until the day comes. And the challenge is that some Christians act surprised when they end up in a spiritual war. In fact, many Christians do not even engage the enemy. Many of us don't engage the enemy. I say many of us, including me. We are called to fight the good fight. Because the battle is raging. Whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, there is a battle, there is a war for us as Christians. Why has God pulled us together? So that we can fight the good fight. So we can win the, uh, those who are lost. We can bring them back or bring them into the kingdom of God. Pluck them out, out the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. We have a job to do. The battle is indeed raging. But some of us are comfortable in sitting up, up on the hill when there's no action, there's nothing, we're safe, we're under the Christian community. It's also true that not all belong um, at or are fit to be in the front lines. Not everyone will be in the front line of this battle that we are called, that we are in, this war that we, that's raging. Some should be in the supply line, as it were. Others support those who are flying the jets. The, the pilot who's, who's flying this supersonic jet needs people on the ground to help him maneuver. He needs people on the ground to show him that's why he must drop that bomb. He needs navigation. Who's going to do that? He cannot do that himself all by himself up in the air. He needs you, perhaps, in the ground. But the reality is that everyone should be a soldier. Everyone should be a soldier, not a sitter. Everyone. Every single one of us should be a soldier. What role that's, uh, uh, what that role looks like for you in the kingdom of God, I do not know. God will show it to you. God will show it to you. Because guess what, my dear friends, I'm sorry to say this. But the Christian life is a war. The Christian life that we call to is a war. You can testify from the day that you, even before you were born again, but more so the day you were born again to, the, to, to present day, that you, have been, you have been at war. You have been battling with stuff. You have been fighting. How about let's fight together rather than in isolation? And how do we do that? Is by fellowship. By being together, by me understanding your difficulties or your challenges, and you understanding mine, and together we lift each other up in prayer. What is it? Uh, there's a scripture that says one lifts, I think it's a, a thousand, a thousand, and two, ten thousand. You can do the, 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 the myth. We need to pray. <laughs> we need to pray. We need to, get, need to get together. You need to pray by yourself, but we also need to get together and pray. That is the work of a soldier on the ground. So as I pray for you, I am, I am propelling you. I'm pushing you. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to, move, to forge forward. And the truth that the Christian life is a war. Why is it a war? Because we have a great enemy. Let's not discount it. We have a great enemy. But he's not greater than the king that we serve. He's not greater than the king that he serves. He is powerful, but not more powerful than the king. His troop, troops are many and well trained. 
to hold no defense against that kind of force is actually catastrophic to the Christian cause. Catastrophic to your life. See, there are many, many metaphors of soldiering in the Bible. Many. See, part of the reason Paul had this deep, genuine relationship with Timothy and Epaphroditus, I believe, was because of their view of each other. They were willing to put each other before themselves. This helped encourage um, Paul's exhortation, exhortation of unity to the Philippian church in chapter 2. Remember, the theme of chapter 2 is and has been this thing about unity. And then you remember what Scripture says, that there is one body, the church, but many parts. The Bible, or the biblical idea of unity is unity in diversity, not uniformity. So you're different, you've got different talents. The idea of unity within the church is that you come with your gifts, you come with your talents, and together we work and see the kingdom of God moving forward. So in conclusion, I ask, I leave you with this question to consider. Can you be considered as a genuine brother and sister in the family of God? Can you be considered as a genuine, wholehearted fellow worker in the army of God? And lastly, can you be considered as a soldier fighting tooth and nail, as it were, for the cause of Christ on this earth. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're holy. Thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation, Father. Where we have failed to be genuine brothers and sisters, we repent and I ask you, King Jesus, to help us to become that. Where we have failed to be uh, workers, on the field, Father, we repent and we ask that you would help us to be that. And we, God, we have failed to be soldiers, genuine soldiers, Father, for the cause of your kingdom advancement. I pray, Jesus, that by your grace you would help us. All for your glory, King Jesus, and for our benefits. In Jesus' strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.